and Salesforce is now larger than Siebel at its peak ever was. And now they so, have the eye of Mordor over uh, San Francisco. They right? do <laughs> have the eye of Mordor, yeah. And they have Salesforce trailhead characters wandering the street. And oh my goodness! So that's you know that's, that's, that's a, always a lot fantastic. of fun. Fast Food Day, it's November 16th, 2018, and welcome to Episode 7 of C-Lab, the Customer Education Lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I'm Adam Avermescu from <laughs> Checker. And I'm Dave Darrington from Azuqua, and <laughs> welcome everybody. Uh, today is a special episode. And what we're going to do is, Adam, you went to SkillJar Connect just I sure recently. did. Yeah. Fabulous. Yesterday. Yesterday. And um, we like to get into this mode of doing like a mini recap episode after we go out into the world and we talk to you and we engage with others because our job is finding the others here. This time, um, Adam, you're going to recap what happened at SkillJar Connect. And that was their first user conference, which is really cool. Um, since this was the first conference that they had it was a it was smaller than they'd probably like to be next year uh so you're going to do a brain dump on us uh tell us about skill jar skill jar is a customer training platform i'd say arguably one of the most interesting and one of the best out there on the market right they're definitely a leader in the space and it was really interesting that they they brought together a group of customer training and customer education professionals in fact they they claimed i don't know if this is true that that it was the largest gathering of customer education professionals uh, ever up to this point. Wow, that's a risk. As long as we don't, uh, we don't have some uh, uh, tragedy befall us, that's pretty phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into this. Uh, so Adam, why don't you go ahead and, and lead in. And uh, why don't we start off by talking about what the, the mission was of this, you know, what went on and it was a two-day two-day fair? It was a, it was a one-day affair. Oh, actually. one day. Oh, wow. Yeah. They, they had a customer advisory board on the first day, but the, the second day was the conference. It was a full-day conference. Started off with a, a keynote and uh, a few interesting panels and then uh, did roundtables later in the day. Fabulous. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting because there, there really aren't that many conferences out there devoted purely to customer education. When right. You, and what, what I, you know, be... I have to ask you this again. This is yeah. <clears throat> this part of our whole mission here is to evangelize and define and share what we know and learn about customer education. So, one, can you start off by again repeating for our audience? You know, why is this different? What do we focus on in customer education? What we focus on in customer education is helping our customers, not not necessarily internal employees. Sometimes partners, but definitely our customers. Right. The admins, the end users, the program managers, helping them become more successful in their accounts. And when you think about the purpose of this conference as opposed to something like DevLearn or ATD Technology, which are some of the bigger instructional design and mm-hmm. learning conferences out there, those are largely focused on inter- internal learning on corporate learning, right? on either HR, or even sometimes you have sales enablement or other teams there. And so if you're a customer education person who goes to one of those conferences, you're not necessarily finding your people. You're picking up some broader instructional design best practices that you can bring back to your customer education world. But uh, there's always something really refreshing about being with people who do what you do. Uh, so with that in mind, 
what were the kind of folks that were there? Who was there? What companies were there? What were they talking about? Let's get into the details. Yeah, I mean, there were there were a ton of great companies there. So uh, just to, to name a few off off my head, there's a uh, Zendesk, Mapar, Zora, Avalara, Looker, Alfresco, Coveo, Zenefits, Autodesk, Procore, and of course Checker. Wow. Wow, that's a big list. It was a nice group and of Zendesk companies. just had their conference uh, this week, I think. Yeah, I think uh, they weren't able to send their full team to this <laughs> conference because they were splitting duties uh, with theirs. But it was it was good to see a lot of the teams represented. I, I think that you know when when you think about the portfolio of of companies who were there, I mean, obviously it was it was Skilljar customers, and mm-hmm. I, I hope that eventually they'll do more like what Gainsight Pulse does and let non customers in as well and just make it a a space to talk about customer education. But for being a user conference, it was great because the the companies that are represented there are a lot of really innovative and forward-thinking uh, mid-market and, and enterprise brands. So, you know, these are the companies a lot of the time who are thinking about things a little differently. Right. Uh, most of them aren't pivoting from these very traditional education services teams. A lot of them are companies that started in the cloud. Different peer group, right? Yeah, and the, the, those are our peeps, right? Those are the ones that were were tasked with something different. Just like you said, you know, we're not extended enterprise, we're not L and D, we're not this big corporate type training monolith. We're we're the folks that are out there. We have many hats, and we're trying to get content out where there is none. Yeah. So that that would be interesting to see what you know. What are the different kinds of of things that you're talking about in that? You know what. What, tell us more about these companies, this cohort of companies that are coming to this conference, as opposed to the other ones that you just mentioned. I can get into this in a moment, too. Cool. But um, I think it reaffirmed for me the idea that there's a category of customer education that's a little bit different from uh, education services as mm-hmm. it used to exist. Because I saw some trends here that were different than what I would have seen at other conferences. Most of the companies didn't have formal certification programs. Uh, most of them weren't proctoring. The ones that did have certification programs were more likely to be doing them as marketing or as industry plays. Mm-hmm. And most of the companies, this was very surprising, weren't charging for training. Mm, interesting. It's more common for younger or smaller companies, but I was, I was actually surprised by the sheer number that weren't just not doing education P&Ls, but actually just weren't charging for training. We're going to have to dive into this a little bit more. So yeah. with that in mind, I think you framed it up. So there, there's a lot of a, there's a really good cohort of people that were there. They were focusing more like what we have to deal with at Checker with Azuqua, formerly when I was at Gainsight, probably formerly when you were at... Um, um, Optimizely. Optimizely, I'm yep. sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's okay. I remember, I remember the name. <laughs> you remember, you worked there. Yeah. Um, Four and a half years. <laughs> Well, let's get to the next subject area. I think what you wanted to talk about first is some of the investors that have been, you know, at the forefront of helping Skilljar get up to speed. So tell me a little bit about your engagement with them, what they're thinking about, how did this all play into the conference? Yeah. So one of the big topics was, you know, customer education as a discipline and as a category. So when they actually had the VCs there, they they had two investors, Rajiv Batra and Doug Pepper. So they were two of Skilljar's investors, and they were there to give the VCs perspective on on the customer education space. Right. Not necessarily just Skilljar as a product, but this this whole cohort of companies who are starting to to emerge in the customer education space. Gotcha. So uh, Doug, I believe, was an investor in Marketo, and he actually, uh, the way he was thinking about it 
the place that customer education is in right now is similar to how he saw marketing automation in the early days of Marketo, mm-hmm. where it used to be that marketing teams didn't have a lot of credibility in their organizations. They didn't have a lot of say in decision making. And it's because they didn't have access to a lot of data. So a marketing team back then was going to trade shows and handing out pens and and doing all sorts of uh, non-measurable activities, just creating awareness. Swag. Swag, <laughs> billboards. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything gets digitized and marketing teams had the opportunity to start quantifying what they did uh, and to start getting more disciplined and more data-driven. Yeah. And they compared that to where customer education is starting to go. We're moving out of the world of just running these gigantic week-long on-site trainings that don't really get measured aside from a smile sheet. And all that we're measuring is um, you know, how happy people were or how many butts were in seats or how mm-hmm. many trainings we delivered, how many how much hours we, made we delivered. Off the training engagement. Bookings, margin, revenue, like all of that is starting to change because the training business is no longer just about how much training you do and how much money you made off the training. The training business is starting to become about how you're able to activate customers are you activating them quicker? Are you helping them become more loyal and more retentive and grow with your organization? This is fascinating because I recall talking with some of our leadership about what the board is thinking. And these are all the bullet points of a board. They say, well, they're not even thinking about butts and seats and how much you're making off of that. It's like, how much does your customer education function support our mission of product, uh, of finding customers engaging customers and helping them to adopt. Yeah, they, and they used a new term as well that I'd never heard before. They, they, they talked about replacement markets. Well, that is new. So no, I've, I've not heard of this, so dive into that one. I hadn't heard of it uh, until yesterday either, but a replacement market is the idea that for any software category, uh, there are going to be new players that come in to fill the void when the people who used to be the innovators become the established companies. So an example that they used was uh, in the CRM space. Siebel used to be the CRM. <laughs> yeah. And then Salesforce came along to disrupt what they were doing. Uh, part of what Salesforce did was they were in the cloud, right? So they were able to scale in a way that Siebel wasn't. They were able to pick off a lot of the customers that Siebel might have had. And Salesforce is now larger than Siebel at its peak ever was. And now they so, have the eye of Mordor over uh, San Francisco, They right? do <laughs> have the eye of Mordor, yeah. And they have Salesforce trailhead characters wandering the street. And oh, my goodness. So that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a, always a lot of fun. It's fantastic, though. I mean, you think about that kind of disruptive, I like this concept of a replacement market. The disruptive sound negative. Yeah, and, and so the customer LMSs or customer learning platforms that are out today are almost a replacement market for the old corporate LMS. Gotcha. Kind of interesting, right? The way that uh, Doug was talking about it is, you know, he he saw a gap. He likes to invest along the customer life cycle or the mm-hmm. customer journey. That's how he put it. And he started by investing in a lot of sales and marketing tools to help bring in net new names and nurture those customers. Uh, and then he was starting to look at customer success tools. But even though they provided reporting and alerts and playbooks, They weren't necessarily allowing companies to act and to take action on those reports and alerts um, unless you also had some sort of tool for customer education as well. Right, right. So he saw those as very complimentary. Well, that's good to know because that's kind of resonant with our pitch that customer education is a pillar of customer success. It's a part of the equation. And I think I would assert that a lot of folks don't think that way, that customer success is customer success. We don't have this bridge. 
Well, and you know, you had the advantage also of working at Gainsight. You, you worked with one of these customer success tools very, very intimately. And now we're kind of looking at it from the other side and looking at how does this tie into customer education platforms. Totally, totally. It's a big deal. So what else do they talk about? Um, you know, one, one final gap or sorry, one final topic was uh, Rajiv, the other investor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was actually one of their earlier investors, talked about how customer education is a tool for companies to be able to differentiate themselves and to differentiate with empathy. Interesting. Yeah, because if you're doing customer education, you're able to do something that a lot of your competitors aren't. And this is what we always would say at Optimizely as well, is that customer education doesn't just bring in training dollars. Customer education for us helps optimizers, digital marketing professionals, experimenters do their jobs better. Mm -hmm. Because Optimizely was building a category too. Right. There wasn't an experimentation professional 10 years ago. So if we were to able to empathize with people who are doing something new in their jobs, show them that we know this space better than anyone else, but we're not just going to tell you that. We're going to help you succeed in this space. Then that's actually better for our companies. And, and that's the role that even the VCs really saw customer education as playing strategically. That's really neat. And, and to give Bill Cashard props, um, and I would just say Sarah Brown and, and Rob Castaneda as well, that, that helping sells motif, that I think that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. That we are helping you. It's not an extra cost to you. It's implicit in the product you bought. Or maybe you didn't even buy it yet. You're evaluating it and you're trying it out. But we're helping you to sell that product. And helping sell a platform helps you do your job. Absolutely. I think that the, the whole Service Rocket crew was, was early to that message. I, I love the idea of helping sales, and I love the idea of customer education being a strategic differentiator for the business. Right. And that actually tied really well to the keynote, um, because Suzanne Ferry from MapR was talking about how her company was really able to use customer education as a differentiator really early in the sales cycle. That's fabulous. And, and I recall I've talked to to Suzanne myself in the past, and she's got a really interesting take on this whole thing. So can you consolidate like what she was, what are the speaking points she had in her keynote? Yeah. And, and first of all, I mean, I, I loved, I loved spending time with her. I loved hearing from her cause she's, she's super practical. It's going to tell it like it is. Um, and you know, that's, I think that's our people too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tell, tell us like it is yeah. sister. <laughs> and, and you know, one thing that, that, uh, she was unafraid to tell it like it is, is the, the role of customer education in marketing. So she had built a program that unlike a lot of other education services teams, uh, a lot of what she was putting out there was free and mm-hmm. it was search optimized because she is responding to this customer expectation. Uh, she called it the, the consumerization of learning or Netflix for learning. Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, where cons- gives, a, gives a new new impression of Netflix and chill. But continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> you know, customers now expect things to be free more often, especially yeah. in some industries. Um, they expect things to be bundled together and really easy to discover. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even even Netflix, even though Netflix itself isn't free, you pay a subscription for Netflix. Once you're in, everything is readily available and it's bundled together and you're not doing multiple right. microtransactions just to, you know, you're not paying for each show. Yeah, right? I want this movie. Oh, no, that's nine ninety nine this week. And yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, for her, a lot of it was also about making sure that things were really easily discoverable in organic search and, you know, finding people based on the keywords where they're trying to get help. 
not just MapR, but for some of the, um, the the keywords that were related to their industry and the technologies they worked with too. Kind of gets into the whole SEO or, um, universe. Totally, it's it's all SEO, and also thinking about learning as more of a more of a career play than just a, a software adoption play. The the way she put it was learning equals earning. So oh, you mean for the for the customer, the learner? Yeah, for the learner. Because they can go out and go, I, you know, short short story on the side. I when I was at Gainsight, I was approached by several individuals who I was absolutely blown away that they had gone through twenty some hours of technical training. They were not customers, and they left really high, you know, really great comments back on our feedback forms, and said and. I was able to interact with them and I'd say, well, why are you doing this? You're not a customer. It wasn't negative. It's like, we're not currently one of our customers and what are you trying to accomplish? And they go, I want to learn everything about customer success and customer success operations. So I saw that your material is free. I'd really like to become uh, an employee of Gainsight or become a customer success manager. Blew my mind. I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's resonant with the story that you were telling about how we are now at that. It's kind of like the YouTube generation, right? And I, I love myself into that now. I use it increasingly more. And if it's free, it's out there. I can find it. Yes, I might not use it, but I know it's there. Yeah. YouTube, not just for millennials anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed. So it, that's it's good. true. No, but it's true, right? Because <laughs> the information is available. And, you know, she was actually telling a story as well about, how uh, you know some decisions her company had made to gate some of that content. Mm-hmm. Once they once they did that, they actually started to lose some of the marketing value that making it free and open had provided them. So other providers who maybe were doing it at lower quality uh, came in to fill that market need. Oh wow! Yeah. So you know, not not that you should not that you shouldn't gate anything. There are some things that should be proprietary and some things that should have a cost associated with them. Um, I, I think it's important to to have a model and a strategy, mm-hmm. but part of that strategy can really involve things being free and open. And so she actually outlined four different strategies that that you can take back to your business. This is exceptional. Yeah. So I wish I was there. Do they record it to share with anybody? I, I think I think uh, the slides are coming out, but uh, cool. I don't I don't know who they're going to be shared with. All right. Well, you're hearing it first from Adam. Maybe we'll encourage um, uh, Suzanne to get on a on a, an interview with us. That'd Suzanne be really should cool. definitely get on an interview with us. All right, I'd we'll love work to on talk that. to her again. Work on that in uh, 2019. All right, Suzanne, if you're listening. Um, so here, here were her four models, though, and, and hopefully she'll come back and, uh, and actually go through these in more depth. But super briefly, uh, one is the, the revenue model, the more traditional, let's sell our ILTs, we're on a P&L, uh, we're generating revenue from our trainings, and we're going to get as much margin from them as possible. Yeah. Number two is more of the land and expand strategy. So you're discounting, you're using training to close your deals. So there's a, a value associated with mm-hmm. it, but you're not necessarily trying to get margin from that. You're trying to create the perception of value to, to close Indeed. the deal. Totally. Uh, number three was what she called the influencer model. So where you're going more for awareness and reach, you're using Google Analytics or whatever analytics platform you're using to figure out who is going to your training, uh, what they're doing in there, and how that's ultimately influencing their loyalty to your brand. Got it. Um, and then there's the demand gen or SEO model where you're really just going after net new names. Um, so it's the most free, the most open. You're really just trying to get that reach. This is cool. And part of me is going, I, I mean, I live in marketing 
and this is the first time I've been as a customer education person in the marketing function, a lot of these things tap on what I am called to do every day. Although I'm still education and training, I'm squarely in the marketing thing that expands my reach. And I think this is a really good point for customer educators is that you can get easily locked into a services org, and I've been one, and it was frustrating because I go, but, but I want to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to reach out, and I couldn't because I was in services. Yeah. So she's promoting a model that kind of goes, goes broad. We have to think of ourselves as, as broader than just services or just marketing, but you know, part of it is us being able to speak the language of our business and be consultants to our business on what model is best. Because a lot of the times they're looking to us to make that decision or to help them make that decision. And if we can get that alignment, then we can pick a model or some combination of those models and stick to it. Right. Instead of just doing a piece here, a piece there, which is sometimes the trap that we fall into. Totally. All right. So I think that that's great. That's a great summary of Suzanne's thing. We're going to have to follow up with her and, and have her uh, come on the show. Definitely. She's a rock star. She is a rock star, and I really appreciate time. So she's coached me a little bit and gave me tips, and it was it was extremely helpful. So with that, let's pivot and talk about your panel, because you did a uh, you hosted a panel, and, or you, were you talking about I, I participated on a panel. Okay. Tell us a little about that, and what, what kind of uh, outcome did you have from that panel? Yeah, so I, I didn't host it, and, and that's a good thing, because it was actually hosted <laughs> by Maria Manning Chapman from TSIA, Great. the uh, Technology Services Industry Association. And she's also a, an amazing person. She's done a ton of research in this space. And so even though she was moderating the panel, she was also contributing a lot based on the experiences and the benchmarks and the the data that she'd collected from organizations as well. Cool. So um, uh, the the subject of our panel was content effectiveness and how to make training stick. That's always a a, a topic that I love talking about. Yeah, that's that's one of your reasons for being and and doing a fantastic job at it. And it's really hard. It's hard. It is hard. Um, luckily, I was also joined by some other great speakers from Avalara, Procore, and Komodo. So we were talking about some of the big common myths and misconceptions around content, and especially how a lot of the times when a subject matter expert comes to us in our organization and says, we need a training on X, that people have this flawed assumption of how training content works Mm -hmm. or what training actually is. Because a lot of the time they think, oh, well, let's just get the subject matter expert to do a knowledge dump onto the customer. And then they, they are in a state of having been trained. And that's, that never works. It never works. Well, <laughs> it, it, wor- it works if the learner is really motivated and if the learner understands how to parse all the stuff coming out of the subject matter expert's head. But one of the main things that we have to do in creating content is help remove the parts that are inessential, help figure out um, how to make the content more palatable to someone who's learning it for the first time mm-hmm. and how to really repeat that information um, in a way where it will actually stick because you don't just learn something once and then you've learned it. Right. You have to go through repetition. You have to go through practice. Yeah. Practice. Hand, hands-on work. And it has to be And one of the things that I, I think we often lose in education is passion. Mm-hmm. Like for me, and I, I recall when I was teaching at Webster University, one of the things my students liked the most is I got so excited about stuff because, well, I taught game design and web design, and these are things I know and love, particularly game design. And I could get up there and talk about, I'm excited about this, and this is so cool. And that's sometimes hard to do when you're tired and you're trying to slog through delivering something and, and you're a technical person and you really don't like to educate. 
yeah. that's where we live. Absolutely. Well, and, and you know, even if you do like to educate, a lot of the times when you actually start taking what's in your brain and turning it into training, <laughs> you actually lose that passion, right? You actually filter it out. Yeah. We didn't talk about this on the panel. I actually wish we had. So if, if you were at that panel, um, this is what I wish we talked about. Um, we talked about <laughs> losing a lot of other your good, passion. A lot of other good stuff. <laughs> well, that that training is both logical and emotional, and good content is both logical and emotional. And if you're just working off uh, a script and an outline of topics, you're also missing some of these more emotional things that help people learn and retain content. So, for example, stories, analogies, like these really embed in people's consciousness and help them remember things in a way that just walking through a stream of content won't necessarily accomplish. I think we've done, we've discovered a topic that we're going to have on an upcoming podcast. I really want to tap into this more because I think that emotional concept, like how do it, it is said that you retain information a lot better when you care, when you're interested mm -hmm. and that taps into your emotion, the human side of us. That would be a really good one to go way deep on. We should yeah, do that. Let's, okay, we'll, we'll, spend, we'll spend a good amount of time on that. Another topic that we talked about, um, we, we talked about more of these common myths, misconceptions, and questions. One of the most common questions that people ask about content is, how often do I update it? What's the quality standard? So we got into that, and you know, one of the takeaways, I won't talk about everything, but one of the big takeaways was that customers in general, we found, are more tolerant of out-of-date content than we as the instructional designer think. Right? That's hard to palette, right? Because you think, oh, I've got to keep this up to date. But yeah. I think you're right. I, I had a conversation with somebody about this just recently that uh, we were talking about screenshots and an overabundance of visualization embedded in documentation is, n is not necessarily a good thing. Like mm -hmm. if you go to a Salesforce trailhead, you'll often see that it's a lot more wordy than visual. And that's that helps stave off some of that. Did you guys talk about that in, in any degree? Like how you can make it resistant to common frequent changes? We did. And, and again, we got to do a whole content episode, but uh, there, there are a couple of techniques that we yeah. talked about specifically. One was even if you are going to be more wordy than visual, uh, make sure that those words aren't then describing the UI. So don't talk about the, <laughs> That's a good point. the red button at the top right of the screen. Um, try to avoid talking about positioning or color or things that you think are going to change. Right. Uh, and then one of the other ways to be more resistant is you have to have uh, a set of content that isn't actually just focused on how to use your product. The stuff that's about your product is probably going to change quickly if you're a SaaS product. Mm -hmm. So um, that stuff's great to do in text, maybe like really quick videos, things that are replaceable because that content's right. going to end of life really quickly. Uh, on the other hand, you're going to have stuff that's more industry related or more skill related. Those frameworks um, or more conceptual pieces, those are going to change less often, mm -hmm. but you're going to get a lot more use out of them. So you can usually put a little more production oomph into those. Totally. And maybe that means, uh, so I know that at Gainsight, we were we were delivering customer success manager training. Mm -hmm. And this was more agnostic of platform. Yeah. Even though Gainsight does indeed produce, a, a, you know, arguably the top-notch um, SaaS platform for customer success, they focused on thought leadership. So when CSM it, University wasn't about yeah. how to use Gainsight. It was how to be a CSM. Right. But then it, implicitly, if you had exercise and stuff, okay, let's move over to the tool. Here's the training for that. Here's the material for that. Similar to what we'd like to do in the future with Azuqua, I'm worried about getting the details of how things work and what they do. And then my next 
obvious step in education as part of the educational continuum is to go back and say, okay, now we're going to talk about the bigger pictures. What are you actually trying to accomplish? Let's not talk about our product. And again, it's the helping sales motif. We, um, I'll give Dan Kogan credit for coming up with the, with a title. This is, um, give me a minute here. <laughs> automation Academy or Automation University. Like the, the premise of how do you do, how do you conceptualize the things that you need to do from talk, from taking data from one point to another point, processing and doing it. That's agnostic of platform. There are things you need to think about. So we're talking about that next phase of I'm training you who may not be skilled in as an engineer would be to develop this work process, this workflow. Mm -hmm. I'm teaching you the fundamentals of thinking through these processes of digital automation and digital transformation. Yeah, and that content's gonna last you a lot longer than here's how to do X, Y, and Z in our product. Exactly. So another big topic was microlearning. We've Ooh. all heard a lot about microlearning, right? I'm rubbing my hands together. I know. So, so the question that we were asked was, does the trend towards microlearning conflict with traditional education practices and methodologies? The answer is? I disagree with the question. <laughs> That's why I love working with you, Adam. I think, I think, <laughs> what should be the question? <laughs> well, so here, here's why I think it's... it's uh, I, here's why I think the question is a little weird, because we think of microlearning as being this new innovative thing. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that microlearning is, well, first of all, it's ill-defined. What is microlearning? How, uh, how long does learning have to be to be microlearning? Well, let me take a stab at it. Okay. I, I like that. And actually, that was my first challenge by my team here at Azuka when they came in. Like, we really think you should try to keep it small, you know, microlearning. Mm -hmm. And I go, okay, I'm game. I'll try. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I believe in one aspect of that is that when you think towards the micro, you think towards how do I atomize not ADAM, but ATOM. <laughs> only, only I can <laughs> I mean, You're going to brand it atomizing. Um I'm going to take that for something. Yeah, well, we've got ad hoc atras, so you've got a vocabulary <laughs> lesson. Um, no, I, I'm thinking more of like, it's really good to think about micro-training in the essence, in the spirit of how can I make sure to reduce all the, the crap, the junk, the things that are irrelevant, and how do I get to what actually matters concisely? Yeah. And I tend to think of micro-training as, well, this piece of content maybe part of a bigger, maybe a subset of a bigger piece. Maybe I record it all at once and I break it up. Um, but I think in and of itself, my, the micro is great for like, hey, I'm going to teach you about this one thing, blah, 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 I'm done. But trying to collate, like, how do I articulate a pathway of learning that, that takes this piece and this piece and this piece and this piece and this piece, sometimes you got to go bigger. Mm -hmm. And you have to build an arc. I even think the way that you're talking about it right now, conceptually, that makes a ton of sense. If you can break things more down into individual learning objectives, individual tasks to be done, individual skills to be built, then I do think that it's more effective to be able to componentize those, mm -hmm. to be able to take them apart, put them back together, and maybe those form a larger course. Um, but even in doing that, I still don't think we got to the heart of what you just called microlearning might be macro learning to another company. Oh, really? Okay. Right? Like we don't have a, a set definition of exactly what is micro and what is macro. Because think of it this way. For companies that just did ILT courses that were weeks long, maybe an hour-long training to them is micro learning. I, I can see that. That and makes sense. And if you started with a three-hour training and now you've moved to 10-minute uh, courses, maybe that's micro learning. So it's, uh, it, it changes perspective based on who you are. 
and what, what you're delivering and what you're delivering and what you're teaching. But I think that it doesn't conflict with traditional instructional design practices because what an instructional designer does, and I'm going to give credit to Julie Dirksen for this. Uh, okay. She wrote Design for How People Learn, and she's one of my favorite voices on instructional design. Uh, I've heard her say that the main thing an instructional designer does is manage cognitive load. Wow. That's cool. If you can take these big complex concepts and break them up into pieces that actually help people drive behavior and build new skills, then you're doing your job. That's a traditional uh, instructional design methodology and practice. And what does quote unquote microlearning do? It's an attempt to help move towards that, right? So it's a, in effect doing instructional design as it 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 was dictated that we do it. Right. I think the fact that we moved from these really long courses to uh, a more modular experience is less a factor of any super trendy new instructional design practice. It's more of a factor of technology and communication mm -hmm. because now we have the ability to talk to people in shorter periods of time. People have the ability to get information in shorter periods. It's not like millennials have goldfish attention spans. It's we have new ways to talk to people in shorter bursts. Right, like the YouTube effect. Like what I what I really love now, and and I've adopted this and implemented this. So I don't like generational gaps. I don't believe in them. I don't. I don't. I think that there might be trends and nuances. But everybody I've worked for, work with who's a millennial, great work that work ethic, crush it. It's it's been great. Yeah. Um, and, and they, they do love avocado toast. <laughs> well, I love avocado toast. We like, all love avocado on. toast. I'm a it's, millennial. I love avocado. It's toast. just a damn good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but but the thing is that. So talk about YouTube. I have found myself completely embracing YouTube now, particularly like I'm, I'm a builder. I like to build um, computers. Uh, I'm a hacker kind of, you know, I like to try new things. And that's part of my job. For me, I have to go out and explore an API and understand how it works and to be able to give somebody training on it or to do interesting things with that to show people off the power of Azuqua. So I'm constantly finding myself drawn to YouTube for these little Often they're very short videos. Somebody's trying to do such and such a thing. They do it. They show it. They tell it. It's done. Oh my gosh! Now I might take that and do something bigger with it. So in that essence, in that spirit of, I would tend to define a micro training as something where it's consolidated. It's really tight. It makes sense. Maybe fun, but it gets me one kernel of learning, and then I'm off. So makes makes total sense. You you came there for a reason. And now you're going to get off and, and be on your way and do your job. Yep. And I can do it right then and there. And I know it going forward. It's yeah. sticky. Which is sort of one of the other debates that we were having is does, does completion rate matter? Ooh. Should we be measuring completion on our content? And, you know, people are, are of a couple minds of that. I actually don't have a, a super strong point of view on this yet. Um, but, you know, if you follow that hypothesis, you follow that line of thinking that I came in to learn something. Um, it shouldn't really matter if I completed the course or the series of courses. It True. should probably matter more if we can measure whether they actually then went and took action based on the thing that they learned. And that's more like a, a, a another podcast we're going to be doing here where we're going to talk about all the data, like what do I know about you? Did Me, right now, I've shifted away from completion rates completely, and I've atomized, you know, I've broken up my training into little tiny pieces that are that are specific to certain topics. Yeah. And my, my expectation for you, if you're listening and you're a learner of Azuqua, is that you're going to get in, get what you need, get out. If you want to get a certification, brilliant. I want you to do that and I'll give you the tooling to be able to accomplish that. But I don't care. Absolutely. I want, I care about, 
I'm empathetic to you in getting what you need and getting on with your day. Yeah, we, and we actually, and, and we, we just talked about that in episode six. I'm, I'm winking because yep. we, <laughs> we're, 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 we're a little production magic for our listeners. We're recording this one first because we're, yeah. we're sitting in a room. <laughs> um, speaking of certification, that was the last topic that came up. And uh, we had Colleen Lai, who is one of the education leaders at Procore, uh, construction management mm-hmm. software. And she was actually talking about how they'd generated tens of thousands of certifications Goodness. Uh, from their certification program. So we were asking, you know, what's, what's the role of certification in a modern content program? Uh, are certifications still necessary? Are they still relevant? That's a thing, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, at least for them, if you go over to their site, I think it's procore.com slash certification, you see they actually have different role-based certifications. And I believe that they are free certifications. Oh, yeah, they are. I'm looking at their site right now. They're free certifications. They're based on all the different roles involved in their software. And they're actually using that as a way to really engage customers, give them a learning experience. Um, and they're not necessarily putting a, a price on it, but it's increasing customer engagement and awareness. That's fabulous. I lo- and I love that too, because I found, I, I think it's kind of neat to get a badge or a cert or something. And for me, I hate taking tests, you know, and I particularly hate proctored exams. And, you know, sometimes I've been called on to deliver them, but I, I think that puts a lot of stress. Like I remember a friend of mine that said they take, took the PMP and the first thing they did after taking the PMP exam is cry. Not because they were sad, because it was such a hard thing and such a big milestone and that they just literally collapsed after that. I mean, I don't want to make my customers that are learning our product cry. <laughs> I want them to get something of value and to be able to build incrementally towards it. It's kind of like video games do, where over time you're building, you're, you're gaining achievements, you're completing quests, but you feel like that's attainable. And, you, and, it's a, and I'm more of a fan of performance. So I like to measure that did so-and-so, did this person, let's say Jane, Jane went into my product. She needed to learn how to use a table in Azuqua. She she watched the module in five minutes, five, ten, ten minutes, they're done. And now I can see that Jane created two tables and is increasing adoption of the product. That's just basically product telemetry. And that I can correlate that to the fact that I saw that she did a table module and boom, that's validating my existence, but making her get her job done very, very expeditiously. I love, I love telemetry. It sounds, sounds so fancy. Um, but you're right. Good thing we just recorded an episode on uh, how to hook up all your systems and, and automate them as well. Okay, so let's do a few takeaways just, just from this conference. Cool. Um, so wh- one, one of my main takeaways was customer education is growing as a discipline. Mm-hmm. The fact that we're able to come together as a group of customer educators um, and not even just training services, but really customer education professionals was really right. phenomenal to me. Uh, and, and I do see it coming from two places. There are companies that are building net new customer education functions uh, within customer success or customer marketing. And then there are these existing companies who are pivoting from educational services. But it, it really is, I think, a, a different cohort. And that was really like, you know, it's SkillJar Connect. And I, I do feel like people were connecting. And, and that was really, really a really nice feeling. Uh, another one that I took away was companies really are moving to this mix of free and paid. Yeah, uh, moving off the education services like pure revenue model. Kind of thinking about Suzanne's presentation, cost recovery and P and L isn't the main goal for most of them. Um, that's a big shift. So it, that's that's a cool takeaway. It's a big shift, and and I think it is largely aligned to the the reality of of SaaS products. So that you don't just sell the product once, 
sell training services as an add-on, and then your revenue is protected until you go for whiskey and golf with the decision maker <laughs> uh, two years later. Right? And everybody's happy. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a different universe. You're constantly renewing. You constantly have to drive adoption. And that means that training, onboarding, all the things that customer education does are becoming more critical, not less. Uh, technology and integrations, data availability, being really having all these systems be able to talk to each other is becoming more important than ever. So it's really nice to see customer education professionals taking more of a technology approach to what they're doing. Indeed. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, overall, just really great to see people connecting and, and that there is a, a community of customer education that's materializing. Well, it sounds like you had a fun time, uh, a, a solid, uh, solid session. You know, you did a lot of stuff there, learned a lot of things. And this was our people, I think you found them. So uh, I'd love to be able to participate in the next one. All right, Skilljar, if you're listening, invite Dave to the next. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just going to use this podcast as a forum to, to get into conferences now. Totally. And I could walk there too. <laughs> All right. So I think you've done a great summary, Adam, on this. And uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Again, you want to learn more, you have questions, uh, reach out to us. We have a website now. It's http s colon slash slash customer dot education yes that's a little weird but we love it we 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 grabbed it we're all about customer education here at customer education labs that's https it's a secure website yeah but you can go to http and it'll be fine or you could just type in customer dot education it'll be fine too i was was trying to make it like a selling point (laughs) type in whatever you want you'll find us type in whatever you'll find us hopefully we do the seo right um you'll be able to find show notes you'll be able to find uh blog entries uh and Come hang out with us. If you got questions, we've got answers. Uh, again, on Twitter, I'm at Dave Darrington. And I'm at Avramescu. And to our audience, thanks for joining us. Go out there and educate, experiment, find your people. Thanks for listening. Hey, Adam here. If you're enjoying our show or finding value from it, I'd like to ask you for a quick favor. Not here to ask for your dollars, but it would really help out if you subscribed in your podcatcher of choice and went to iTunes or Spotify and left us a positive review. Leaving us a review is the most powerful thing you can do to help expose this show to new listeners. The algorithms really love it. Maybe you don't think of yourself as someone who reviews or subscribes to podcasts. Well, if that's you, please take a few minutes to go in and rate all the shows you listen to at once. You'll help an angel get its wings. Thanks in advance from your pals at C-Lab.